I'd like you to take your Bibles and look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, that's one of the places where we're going to be this morning. I trust that the hinges on your Bible are well-oiled because we're going to be looking at several important passages on this particular topic. Some of you may have heard of a radio and television personality whose name was um, Art Linkletter. Now, I'm looking around at some of the young people and you have no idea who Art Linkletter is, but some of us older folks know who he was. Uh, he had a television show for 19 years titled People Are Funny. In addition to that, he had one for 25 years titled House Party. And in that particular TV show, he would go to children and he would uh, have interviews with children. And, and that became the birth of something called Kids Say the Darndest Things. And all sorts of books and things were written about uh, the way the kids responded to the interviews. Well, it is interesting to me to note that one of the practices of this man, Art Linkletter, was to go frequently to nursing homes and visit the elderly occupants, and he would give his best efforts to trying to encourage them and lift their spirits. But on one particular occasion, he was trying to interact with the lady who was just sitting there in her chair, staring out the window, and she seemed totally unimpressed with him. No matter his jokes, his personality, and all of his attempts to cheer her up, and so he became frustrated with that, this man who had been on television, who had been on radio for centuries. And so he said to this lady, looking out the window, Ma'am, do you know who I am? And she said, No, sir, but if you go to the front desk, they'll tell you. <laughs> well, I'm going to stand before this front desk, this sacred table, or I should say desk, and tell you this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to inform you about who you are because you have a relationship with Jesus. Now, knowing who you are in terms of your identity in Jesus is extremely helpful to your progression, your sanctification in our faith, and your journey toward Christ-likeness. There is a direct connection between understanding your true identity and living for the Lord and living for the glory of the Lord as you reflect upon what he has made you because of his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, and his union with you in Christ. And according to the word of God, the best objective description that captures the essence of who you are is captured in a short phrase. And that short phrase is this. Get it down. In Christ. In Christ. Genuine believers of Christ Jesus are identified in the New Testament as being in Christ far more than they are described as being followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus. Matter of fact, way more then they are described as Christians. The term Christian is only found three times in the New Testament, whereas this term in Christ is found all over the New Testament. The Apostle Paul used that terminology 164 times in the 13 books that the Spirit of God used him to compose that are now in the New Testament. So I think it's right to say that the best way to identify a genuine believer is in this manner. They are in Christ. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean to be in Christ? That identity marker means that you are now in the realm of the saved. And now you are receiving all of the blessings of, of possessing salvation in Jesus Christ. It means and it connotes to being a part of the body of Christ. When you are in Christ, 
What that means is that the Spirit of God, at the point of your conversion, immersed you into the body of Christ and made you a part of that precious body that Christ shed his blood to redeem. Peter said about being in Christ, he says, we have in Christ everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness. First Peter, or Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. So if you're in Christ, you have all that you need to live an abundant life for God's glory, and you have all that you need to live a godly life for God's glory. Godliness is nothing more than a visible, tangible expression of your dedication and your devotion to God as you are godlike by emulating his moral attributes, his ethical standards, so that people can see visibly your dedication, no matter, no matter the theater, no matter the arena of life in which you are functioning. And being in Christ, and this is where I, I had you turn to 1 Corinthians, being in Christ is the result of a miracle. I want you to understand that being in Christ is a result of a miracle. So look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, For consider your calling, brethren, that not many were, many were wise according to the flesh, not many no, mighty or noble. Basically what he is saying is this calling, what theologians refer to as the effectual calling, this divine summons, issued in the context of the proclamation of the gospel, this calling that overwhelms the deadness of your soul, overcomes the deadness of your soul, and your resistance to God, puts in place the repentance and the faith that brings you to God. This calling of God, he is saying, was not based upon some social status, some power, some position of power you had on earth. It was not based on your nobility. It was based on the miraculous elective choice of a sovereign God. And he goes on to say, if, let's read on verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despise God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. That's very important. Let me tell you something. When it comes to the salvation of your soul, God is not to receive most of the glory. God is to receive all of the glory. It was God who quickened you from death and brought you to life. It was God who imparted divine life, the, the eternal life of God, the inextinguishable life of God to you when you became a believer. And then, here it is, what I wanted to get to, verse 30. But by his doing, you are what, folks? In Christ. By his doing, you are in this privileged position of being in Christ. And Christ became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. And then he repeats this statement, which he made a little bit earlier. So just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So it's right to say, that being in Christ, which happens miraculously, which is the chief identity marker of those who are genuine believers because it captures the essence of our true identity. And Dr. Worsby said this, and I'm quoting him. He said, the more you reaffirm who you are in Christ, the more your behavior will begin to reflect your true identity. I want to say that again because this is really significant to the message I'm bringing you this morning. The more you affirm, affirm who you are in Christ, 
the more your behavior will begin to reflect your true identity. This lofty position of being in Christ affords to the genuine believer five incredible spiritual benefits that need to be reaffirmed by those who occupy that position and those who understand salvation. And so I'm going to give you those five spiritual benefits this morning. And again, my, my, my purpose, my goal, as I wrote it down, what's the aim of my message? My message is to make you aware of who you are in Christ so that you in your own heart would affirm that reality and that reality of who you are in Christ will become the fuel, will become the catalyst for your sanctification, for a conduct that reflects the great privilege of being miraculously placed in a position of being in Christ. So let me tell you the very first spiritual benefit. In Christ, number one, and I think you have this in your program all written out for you. In Christ, you experience spiritual transformation. By the way, this is what makes true biblical Christianity different from being religious. When people are religious, they go through a functionalism that is established as a code of some sort in their religious system. But the problem with that is it's external always. It, it doesn't change people. That's why people can attach themselves to a certain religious system and follow all the procedures, follow all the customs and all of the rituals, and it has no effect on them. It leaves them as they are. But, but that is not true when you are in Christ. I want you to take your Bible and look in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. This is the key in understanding this great spiritual benefit. This verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature, literally a new creation. And the old things pass away, and behold, new things come. This represents an internal change that is externally visible. If you are in Christ, the old things of your old unsaved life pass away. Those things that were characteristic of being spiritually dead and separated from God. Those things pass away. Your worldview that you had when you were a lost person undergoes a transformation, undergoes a complete recalibration because the scriptures begin to develop what you think about life and the values and the priorities you have about life. So you no longer look to the world to determine who you are and why life is important or where it came from and what's moral and what is not. You look to the scriptures. Take a look with me. Keep your place in 2 Corinthians and look with me in Ephesians chapter 2 because I want you to get a glimpse of what we were before we were in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 it says in verse 1, you were formerly dead in your trespasses and sins. Formerly dead. That's what you were before you came to know Christ. Before you were in Christ, you were dead. In the Greek, you know what that word dead means? Dead. You had no spiritual life. You had physical life. But you had no value to appreciate God or His revelation or his standards, or, or to live by his standards. You had no value, no priority for those things because your deadness made you indifferent to God and indifferent to his standards. Verse 2, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, 
When the Bible talks about the world, it talks about that ordered system of thinking that has been cultivated by the God of this world, who is Satan, with its philosophies, with its aberrant theology, with its twisted morality, with its flesh-driven values and priorities. You lived your life in accordance with that prior to being in Christ, prior to being made a new creation in Christ. Reading on, it says, in which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. When Paul uses the word flesh, he's talking about that base human nature that was left to us by Adam because of the fall. He's talking about that proclivity. He's talking about that bent that you and I have towards sin and rebellion. And prior to being in Christ, that flesh ambition and desire is what governed our behavior. It became the GPS for our life. But now we're in Christ. And these old things pass away. That's why in verse 4, I love this statement in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So one of the great spiritual benefits is a transformation of life. You are not what you were. This verse, the 2 Corinthians 5.17 verse, which I began with, points to this reality. There is no such thing as a changeless conversion. No such thing. Because you cannot become a new creature. You cannot continue to live in old things and imagine you've been converted. Converted from what? But when you are in Christ, those old things pass away and new things come. And by the way, the, the, the verb tense there for new things comes describes an action in the past that has lingering results. So because you have become a new creature, new things have come and they continue to come. The more and more you get closer to God, the more you conform to the standards of his word, the more your life becomes more set apart, the more your life is directed toward his glory. So if you're in Christ... You've experienced a spiritual transformation. Second great spiritual benefit. If you're in Christ, and this one really gets me excited because, well, I don't want to give it away, so I'll just stop right there. But if you're in Christ, you have liberation from sin's condemnation. My, oh my. This is a good thing. You have liberation from sin's condemnation if you're in Christ. Currently, we're living in the midst of a pandemic. None of us have ever experienced anything like this. It's been a hundred years since our country and the world had been ravaged by such a disease. We were talking earlier, and it seems to be now the typical conversation about people saying, yeah, I heard of so-and-so and they have COVID, and two other people have COVID. And, and that seems to be the conversation because we're looking at the effects of COVID-19. But I want to tell you about a virus that is far more infectious than COVID has ever been. Uh, COVID can be experienced by some people, but not all people. But the virus I'm going to tell you about has had an impact on every person who has ever entered this world. 
The virus I'm talking about is the sin virus. Ever since the fall of Adam into sin, all of his progeny have been infected with the sin virus. And what does that sin virus incline them to do? It causes them to live independent of God's will. It causes them to follow their rebellious impulses no matter where it takes them. It causes them to live lawlessly. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, It's a universal problem. Everyone has sinned. Uh, King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said in the seventh chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, there's not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. He says there's nobody like that. We all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. That's physical, that's spiritual, and that's eternal. But the last part of the verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. One of the things that you receive when you come to know Christ is that eternal life. But all people since the days of Adam... Everyone who's ever inhabited this earth are sinners by imputation, nature, and practice. Given that particular condition, Bildad, one of the friends of Job, asked this very important question. It's recorded in Job 25 and verse 4. Listen, how can a person be justified before God? How can one born of woman be pure? Bildad understood that all people are bent towards sin. How in the world are we ever going to get right standing with the holy God when we're constantly living independent of his standards? How can unholy sinners stand right with a perfectly righteous God? And the Bible answers, and I'm glad it does, that you and I are justified Justified means in the original language, it's a legal term, meaning to be declared right standing. Specifically with God. We're justified by faith and faith alone in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 3.28 puts it this way. For we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You cannot... You cannot, through law-keeping, get right with God. There are people that have told me that they're going to try to get right with God by keeping the Ten Commandments. And I remind them that they have 603 more to go. There's a total of 613 commands in the Old Testament. And in order for you to get right with God, you have to keep them all and keep them perfectly if that's the pathway that you're going to take. And for you New Testament Testament believers, don't feel bad. You have 1,150 commands. But you have an ability by the regeneration and the indwelling of the Spirit to conform to those mandates. The commands, the law, was never designed to enable us to be right standing with God. The law is a lot like a mirror this morning. At the hotel I was in, they have a lovely mirror. I got up and I, after I got up, immediately after I got up, I passed by the mirror and I looked in the mirror and the mirror told me this, that I need help. That there was something bad happened overnight. I don't know what it was. But you know the one thing the mirror didn't do? It didn't fix it. It just disclosed the reality that I need help. And when you look at the Ten Commandments, if you look at it, everybody here has violated them all, at least in the spirit of them. 
You say, well, I never murdered anyone. Well, let me ask you. I'll just use the words of Christ. Have you ever spoken in a very derogatory way about someone else? If you said yes, well, then you're a murderer according to the standards of God. You had the attitude for murder. You just didn't carry it out. So everybody has violated the commandments. And what the commandments do is they tell you that you need to be saved. And the way you are saved is by faith alone. And when you are saved, and here is the key verse on this point, Romans 8.1. Listen to the words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation. I like the way Jesus put it in John 5.24. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So when you're in Christ, there's never a day when you will stand before him and be judged because of all of the sins that you have done. If you are in Christ... Because when you believed in Christ, you were declared legally right standing with God and all your sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to dance. I won't because the white man overbite dance doesn't look all that good. But it sure does excite me to know that I am forgiven, forgiven in the sight of a holy God. <laughs> Let me say it to you again. I am forgiven. <laughs> you are forgiven if you know Christ, if you're in Christ, in the sight of a holy God. So what do you have when you're in Christ? You have spiritual transformation. You have liberty. You've escaped eternal condemnation. If you're in Christ, third benefit, you enjoy a spiritual unification. A spiritual unification. In our day, there's a great deal of discussion about racial tensions and racial reconciliation, rightly so. And many say that racial unity is the product of re-educating people to the sensibilities of other races. And some say making more laws to guard against racism is sorely needed. And all of those who are believers in Christ must hate racism or any kind of sin that is expressed from the sinful hearts of humanity. You and I must understand that the real problem, here, put it this way, the heart of the problem that causes estrangement from people, that causes antisocial behavior. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And the heart needs to be cleansed and changed. Um, and I'm going to use the words of Jesus to vindicate the statement I just made. If you look in Mark chapter 7... You'll see that in Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees were on Jesus about the fact that when his disciples ate grain from a field, they didn't go through the ceremonial washings that were not from the Bible, not prescribed by the Bible, but became the traditions of people. And so they were eating unclean food. And so Christ wants to correct the record on that matter. If you look at verse 14 of chapter 7, after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile a man. It's what makes you morally marred. Something on the inside, not something you consume into the inside. Then he says in verse 16, 
If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. That's in parenthesis because some earlier manuscripts don't have that. But basically, it's an appeal to those who have been awakened, if you will, and illuminated to the capacity of understanding divine truth. Verse 17, And when he left the crowd and he entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, You are not lacking in understanding also. Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is illuminated. And thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying to them, here's the part, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, perceive evil thoughts and fornications and thefts and murders and adulteries and deeds of coveting and wickedness as well as deceit and sensuality and envy and slander and pride and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So what is it that we need if we want to see reconciliation between people? What is it that we need that can truly join us as a people, as one? I mean, in New York, we have the United Nations, which is anything but united. So we people haven't been able to come up with anything. So what is it we need to be reconciled? And that is we need to have our hearts cleansed by faith alone in the death and resurrection of Christ. Our hearts need a cleansing from the mastery of sin. And when sinners are first reconciled to their creator, they are better able to be reconciled with others. Peter made a very interesting case for the inclusion of Gentiles in the church during a time when the religious leaders the Jewish religious leaders of first century Judaism, not only sanctioned the practice of segregation from Gentiles and Samaritans and others, they were convinced that such separation, such disdain for others, and open rejection of others was biblical. It was biblical. And they felt that way because God told them that they needed to be set apart from the Gentiles. They needed to be set apart from their pagan religions and their immoral behavior. But they missed a major thing. Separation is not to result in isolation. For the believer, for example, we're called to be set apart from those who are lost. But it's, it involves a contact without contamination but not isolation. Peter told the church about that time when God divinely arranged for him to meet with Cornelius, a Gentile, in his household. It was a divine arrangement. You can read about it all in Acts chapter 10. And Peter at the first church council was describing what happened when he preached the gospel to these Gentile people. Listen to these words from Acts 15, 8 through 9. And God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. So in other words, he was saying, listen guys, something miraculous happened. You know when we received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? You remember that day, guys? Those Gentiles, when they heard the gospel, received the Holy Spirit in the same way. You know what that means? That means that they are now in Christ. They're converted. Gentiles. He says in verse 9, verse 8 and 9, And God who knows the heart testified to them, Acts 15, God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did also to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. I want you to see something from Acts chapter 11. Turn on your Bible there, or turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 11, because I want you to see a very important thing here. 
again, this whole matter of Gentiles being a part of the church, the reconciliation of Jewish believers and Gentile believers. In 11.1, it says, Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised, Jewish believers, took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. That that is a violation of our Jewish standards, is another way of putting it. But I love what Peter does. He tells them the story of how God divinely arranged this meeting with Cornelius. And, and, And you could read that on your own, but I want you to go to verse 15. And he says, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, these Gentiles, just as he did upon us at the beginning, the day of Pentecost, the beginning, at the beginning when the Spirit of God took up residence in every genuine believer. At that beginning, that sign of conversion was a reality bestowed upon these Gentiles. Verse 16, and I remember the word of the Lord, how we used to say, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift, the Holy Spirit, as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they quieted down and they glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. They're one with us in Christ. That's what they were concluding. Now, here's the key verse for this point that I've been making, this new unification. Galatians 3.28. For there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is nor slave or free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are one. So in the body of Christ, racial reconciliation was done for us at the cross. And when we come to know Christ, you know, one of the things that's amazing, when you look in, in, in book of Revelation and you see believers in heaven uh, praising God, it says that they were coming from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. So the Bible doesn't know. Here's a shocker. The Bible doesn't know anything about a Christian nation. The Bible knows only about people who come from every nation and every tribe and every tongue and every people. And that's one of the things that makes us so unique because no other social construct that man has created could ever do this. It could take us all and make us one in the body of Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, put it this way. I just love these little computer things. I think I may have told you before, this is why you never see people my age working in the computer section of Best Buy. We have no idea. I always like those salesmen who tell me, oh yeah, this computer will, it's got 390,000 gigabytes and it, does this and it'll help you with your live streaming and your this and that. And then I say, well, can I type on it? But anyways, here I am, Colossians 3. And he put on a new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him and a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarians, Scythians, slaves, free but Christ is all and in all. So in Christ, we have this wonderful reconciliation. We have this wonderful union. So if you're in Christ, you've experienced a, trans, a spiritual transformation. You've experienced liberation from condemnation. And you now enter into a brand new unification. 
with brothers and sisters from all over the place. And the church ought to reflect that. Now, the problem with our churches, as you may know, is many of our churches simply reflect the communities in which we exist. They do. And I like to go into some of the churches that have all kinds of different people um, that are attending the churches. I, I enjoy that all the time. Uh, sometimes I get a chance. I one time spoke in an inner city church where it had um, probably majority African Americans. Uh, it had white folks. It had Hispanic people. Uh, it had Asian people. It was wonderful. Um, and um, I'll tell you what, the, my African American brothers really lit my fire. I mean, they were they were reacting to me. It was like amazing. Preach it, they said. Preach it. And I said, okay. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Man. And then one of them even came up to me and said, that's it? I mean, you're done? And I said, well, that's all I have. He wanted me to keep going. But that is the brothers and sisters that God has given to us and united us together. We should be one. Well, um, I don't know how much time I have. He told me till two. <laughs> no, uh, let's look at the next one. In Christ, you have the blessing of salvation, the blessings of salvation. I'll go through this quickly because um, we are running quickly out of time. Ephesians chapter 1. Let me begin with the first three verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch this, folks. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing has been bestowed upon everyone who is in Christ. These heavenly blessings are not subject then to the uncertainties of earthly life. They are permanently ours in heavenly places in Christ. But what are these spiritual blessings? He mentions a few here. The first one, he said, is you're chosen in Christ. Do you see that in verse 4? Just as he chose us in him, in him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. So he chose us. Notice the, the source of this choice. Eklogamai means to select out from. What is the source? He chose us. What is the sphere in him, that realm of the saved, when? Before the foundations of the world. So since the divine election of believers occurred before the creation of the world, it's based solely on God's gracious decision and not on human merit. And notice the purpose. Why? What was the purpose in this choice of us? He says that we might be holy and blameless before him in love. Holy and blameless. He's talking about our glorification. So he's saying God chose us. He chose us in him. He chose us before the foundation of the world for a divine purpose that ultimately we will be glorified. And can I tell you something? If you are in Christ, count on it. Count on that moment when you will stand before him holy and blameless in glory, in the eternal state with him because that's what his purpose was. It says also we've been adopted in Christ, 5 and 6. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us and the beloved. He adopted us. You know why he needs to adopt us? Because you cannot naturally be born into the family of God. You cannot naturally. You say, wait a minute, I've heard people say that we're all the children of God. By a creation, that's true. He created all human beings. He created them all in his image. But those who are in the family of God, those who are in that 
intimate, familial relationship with God have been adopted. Think about that. Everybody in the family of God has been adopted. Now, you need to understand the Romans' thoughts on this adoption. They thought that adoption was a higher standard in the family than just being naturally born in a family. To the Romans, they said, you know what? The choice of parents of that child gives them a higher standard. So they gave the adopted children the rights and the privileges of the firstborn. So when Paul uses that terminology, that's what he means about you being adopted. You are in Christ, in the position of a firstborn son with all the rights and the privileges of a firstborn son. All the inheritance, all the blessings that are in Christ are yours because of that position. He says we've been redeemed in Christ, 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Redemption denotes releasing someone from imprisonment or slavery through the paying of a ransom. And the currency that was paid by Christ to liberate you and I from the slave market of sin was his own shed blood. You have been ransomed. You've been set free. And by the way, you have not been set free to live as you wish. You belong to him. And your will is his will. And forgiveness. Forgiveness means to release someone from a debt that could be justly extracted from them. In Christ, you are forgiven of all your past, present, and future sins. I said that. You've been released from the moral debt that you've incurred over a lifetime when you come to know Jesus. You've been set free from the bondage of sin and slavery. You've been set free from the debt of sin. It was Peter who said, and it's recorded in Acts 10.43, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Everyone who believes in him. You've been enlightened in Christ, 9 and 10. He says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth. What does that mean? The word mystery doesn't mean, when he says um, that he's made known to you the mystery, the word mystery doesn't mean something that's hard to understand. It, it refers, mysterion is a Greek word that means um, that which was not revealed in the past but has been presently revealed. And what has been presently revealed is the will of God and how all things will culminate in Christ. That's been given to us. You go to the book of Revelation and you'll see the unfolding of the last days of planet Earth giving way when Christ comes and all governments, all governments are gone. There's only one government when Christ comes. And he will reign from his earthly throne and that will eventually lead to his eternal throne in the new heaven and new earth. And God has been gracious because he's given that revelation. By the way, the word revelation, I'm studying the book of Revelation with my men on Saturday morning, and I remind them that the word apocalypsis, revelation, means to disclose. It means to make clear. It never means to make perplexing, confusing, it never means that. I'm not afraid of studying the book of Revelation. I've got everything all worked out. I know exactly when people will be taken in the rapture. I, I, because, and the reason I know that is because I know my kind God, what he's going to do at the time of the rapture is he's going to take you in accordance with your view. Think about that for a minute. <laughs> no. All of this has been disclosed to us because God is gracious to us in letting us know the unfolding of his purposes and the unfolding of his plan. And all of that's given to you because you're in Christ. And then finally, in this first chapter, he talks about the sealing in 13 and 14. In him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealing, what is that? A sealing is a mark of ownership and a mark of protection. He marked you out as belonging to him. And the presence of the Holy Spirit indwelling in you marks you out as his possession. And because the Holy Spirit dwells in you, he guarantees your destiny. Look at verse 14. Who is given as a pledge, literally a down payment of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I just want to point this out to you. So all these spiritual blessings that we study have come to us according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, to the riches of his grace, according to his kind intention, according to his purpose, according to his will, and according to the praise of his glory. You say, well, where am I? It doesn't say anything about me here. Yeah, you're passive. You're the one who is receiving all of these things in Christ. I don't know about you, but that excites me. Well, let me wrap it up. Otherwise, I will be here till 2. In Christ, you experience completion. This is the final one. So you've experienced the spiritual transition. You've experienced liberation from condemnation. You've experienced a new unification. You are now the recipient of all of the spiritual blessings of salvation. Uh, and now you are finally complete in Christ. I want you to look in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, walk in him by faith. You receive Christ by faith now. Order your behavior, regulate your conduct on the basis of faith. Verse 7, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in a bodily form. You have God-man in Christ. And then verse 10. And in him you have been made complete. In him. Literally, verse 10 reads this way. In him you have been made full. In him you have been made full. This instantly brought to my mind when I was preparing this coming Thursday because it's Thanksgiving dinner that I will enjoy with my family. And when I am finished with that meal, something interesting happens. I am so full that you cannot entice me with anything else. You could take a big, large, thick steak and bring it before me and let me whiff the aroma and it has no effect because I'm full. And when you are in Christ, let me tell you, this is very important, you are made full, so listen to me. So the, the, the false teachings and false teachers in you should have nothing to appeal because you are full in Christ. You are complete in Christ. You've got everything you need in Christ. Everything. So a false teacher should not have any hook to appeal to a genuine believer who understands that in Christ they have been made complete. Just think about it. When you entrusted the salvation to your soul, of your soul to Christ, you received salvation. You were declared right standing with God. The righteousness of God was imparted to you so that you would have what is appropriate for entrance into his heaven. Your sins were forgiven past, present, and future. You were made an adopted child of God. You underwent a 
regeneration, the Spirit of God imparted soul, uh, uh, eternal life to your soul, which was once dead in sin. You have a guarantee of your eternal destiny. And on and on it goes. So what else could a false teacher offer you? There's nothing to do, nothing to offer to you. And that's why you have to be careful of false teachers because false teachers have to convince you, listen to this, that you are not complete in Christ. But the Bible says you are. So if someone comes to you and says, that's nice, you believe, but you need this. You need that. Have you ever had this? Your answer is, I'm in Christ. And being in Christ, I have everything I need and everything I will ever need. In this particular context, he means that the worldly philosophies and the empty deceptions according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of this world which stand in opposition to Christ, have nothing for you because you are full in Christ. You are complete in Christ. Oh, you need to be sanctified, that's for sure. I did, I do, you do. I need to live for his glory, that's for sure. But every spiritual benefit, every spiritual treasure is mine in Christ. I have been made full. And so false teachers have nothing to sell me. Jesus has dealt a death blow to the heresy of human philosophy and religion, which tries to deny that Christ has the power to give complete salvation, when in fact he does. So let me wrap it up by just simply saying this. Are you in Christ? Notice I didn't ask you, are you born again? I didn't ask you if you are a Christian um, I didn't ask you about where you were raised, the home you were raised in. I didn't ask whether you were baptized, sanitized, or deodorized. Are you in Christ? Has there been a day when you entrusted the salvation of your soul to Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation? If you are, then these spiritual treasures are yours. You ought to rejoice not only today, but every day, continuously, that all of this came to you. You've got a spiritual transformation. You're a new creature. You've got a, a brand new liberation. You're not going to be condemned by sin when it comes to judgment. Listen, you don't wait for Jesus as your judge. You wait for him as your beloved Savior who will bring you with him into glory. Isn't that good news? Isn't it? Go like this with your head. Yeah, it's good news. You have a new unification. All these other wonderful people that are reconciled with God can now be reconciled with you and you with them. And you've got spiritual blessings of of heaven and salvation that belong to you and you are now complete in Christ. And for those who are in Christ, as I said earlier, why is this information so important? I, I hope you keep this information because it should serve as a catalyst for you to live your life in complete separation unto the Lord because of what he did in you because of how he brought you to a position of being in Christ. You reaffirm who you are. You reaffirm who you are using the word of God. Not what people say about you, not what the world says about you, but what the Bible says about those who are in Christ. Reaffirm that, and you will see that it's going to have an impact on how you conduct yourself as being those who are in Christ. Let's pray together. Well, gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that I've had to be with these wonderful people from Cape Bible Chapel. Bless them, watch over them, 
Keep them strong in the faith. Let them be reminded continuously of what it means to be in Christ. And let their behavior demonstrate they, they got it. They understand it. They know what you did for them so that you can make sure they live for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.